Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief of Intrafish.com. I am joined today by Rachel Sapin, Senior Business Reporter, and John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. Hello, you two. Well, once again, we had a crazy week in seafood, and, uh, and we only have time to talk about a few topics, but there's so many different ones we could look at. But uh, because it is the beginning of Alaska salmon season, we absolutely have to talk about that. And then we'll move on to uh, a couple other topics. One is U.S. seafood consumption numbers and then the dismal, bleak, bloody numbers for uh, earnings for the, uh, the, the world's salmon farmers. All right. So, Rachel, let's talk about Alaska salmon on May 17th. We had our very first Copper River salmon opener, um, and we've had another one since then, so only two, so not a lot of information to sort of go on so far. Um, But uh, what we do know is that the prices are very strong, as usual, but it seems like there uh, is a bit more enthusiasm this year around. Um, So tell us us what's what's the latest. you know, shaping up a lot to be like 2019 when we saw it was kind of slow fishing and um, people were scrambling to try to get it. And we're seeing those similar prices at retail right now where it's $39.99 per pound per sockeye. At, um, so far, I'm hearing at Whole Foods and at QFC and at the food service level, you know, you can get a good meal for like $65 if you want to go that route at Anthony's. And I'm, I'm sure it's delicious. Um but yeah, we're also seeing, which is interesting, we're seeing uh, because the pandemic kind of shut down food service in 2020 and we had such a bad year that the prices are even slightly higher than 2019, I think, because food service is really starting to bounce back right now. Restaurants are wanting it, retail's wanting it, and the fishing is still fairly slow. We've only had two openers and the water's kind of cold and it's been stormy. So that's kind of where we're at with Copper River. So, I mean, it, just in your discussions with fishermen and and, um, and, and others and part of, of reporting this story, um, it, it does seem like there this, I mean, does it bode well, do you think, for the Alaska salmon season overall? I mean, is there a sense that people are excited to get out and eat and that maybe this, all of that's going to spur a little more excitement and maybe push up uh, prices a bit this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think the nice thing about this year is we have a market that's going to be open for retail and food service. Um, And I think that's just going to thrill people in the Alaska salmon industry that they, you know, now kind of have these two channels, even though, you know, to their benefit, salmon sold fantastically at retail. Um, So, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be able to inch up prices that way that you know, now they realize they can sell it for a little more at retail and maybe there will be some competition there between food service and retail operators. So it'll be interesting. Um, and it's definitely a much brighter feeling season than last year. Well, and I think some of it has to do with it being a bit uh, a bit more of a known uh, quantity, so to speak. You know, that, that last year at this time, nobody really knew what was going to happen, how people were going to deal with this pandemic, whether or not things would open or close or, or what. So at least it, you know, it feels this year there's a little bit um, more understanding about how these closures will work and um, who will be affected. 
Um, so I, I do think that's going to play at least better into into planning and just in the supply chain that there won't be maybe as many hiccups because there's uh, a little bit more um, a little bit more understanding of how to uh, how to plan. So you know, Copper River is always one where it it's such an outlier. It doesn't necessarily indicate um, how the rest of the uh, rest of the season will go. But I mean, I have to say it is it is um, nice to see such exuberance uh, among uh, buyers and among fishermen um, following a year that was just um, you know overshadowed by by COVID, of course. Um, now that said. Uh, we'll be watching very closely throughout the season to see how COVID mitigation measures are going. Uh, up in Alaska, there's very nice high vaccination rates. So I'm assuming we will see less of those uh, outbreaks and disruptions that uh, that we saw last year. John, uh, one of the other big stories that we looked at this uh, week was the uh, U.S. seafood consumption numbers. Um, and this was very interesting. Um, it showed that we are eating just shy of 20 pounds per, per person here in the United States, uh, per capita rather. Um, but there's more behind the story here. Um, there's uh, an asterisk to that number. It's quite a bit uh, more complicated than one would think. So tell us what are we to actually make of these numbers? Should we trust them? Okay. Um, well, if you woke up and you looked at the number from last year or from 2018, I mean, because they're always a year behind, uh, you would see it was 16.1. And then if you look at the new number that came out uh, earlier this week, it's 19.2 for 2019. So you're like, wow, we gained three pounds or so in consumption. Not true. Uh, the new numbers are based on a new calculation of uh, per capita consumption that NOAA started just this year in with the 2019 number. So it's a long and confusing story, but NOAA had um, detected some flaws in their, their calculations, uh, and these have been brought to their attention over the several years the last few years at least and um and it centers around how they um account for alaska pollock um production and and um the yield of that product into edible what they call edible weight edible seafood so they went back and they used a new calculation uh that that um is based more accurately they say on Pollock's contribution to the seafood supply. And from that, they they went back to 1990 and recalculated all the numbers. So we've been eating a lot more sea. Well, we've been eating more seafood than we thought we were. So instead of 15 to 16 pounds, we've been eating, you know, roughly 17 to 19 pounds annually per person. So that's that's good news. Uh, trying to understand exactly how that calculation all worked is something I haven't quite figured out yet, although it's been explained to me by people who definitely are smarter than me. And so I've got more work to do and try and put something together for next week so we can kind of explain all this. But um, in general, you know, um, I guess it's good news. I, I would also say that 
the calculation, the recalculation has also adjusted the um, uh, number that we refer to for how much seafood, how much imported seafood we eat versus domestically produced. Um, before the recalculation under the old model, it was something like 94% of our seafood supply was imported. The new model, uh, it, that number's dropped significantly to 80% of our supply uh, comes from imported seafood. So um, we'll have to look into that a, a little bit because um, the numbers I usually see out of NIMS show increasing imports every year. So um, you'll have to try and figure out how that all is. And lastly, I'll just say that you know, um, I will tip my hat to, to Noah Nymphs and say, you know, it probably wasn't easy to go back and look at this and change the calculation and have to change the numbers for virtually two and a half decades. Um, I don't like it. I don't like these numbers changing because we've built our, you know, we've built a whole understanding of this around certain numbers. But you know, if, if, if the calculation wasn't right, there's no sense in continuing it um, incorrectly, I guess. Was there any sense how this got brought to Noah's attention or why now? Yeah, I don't know the why now, but I do know that uh, people on the Pollock side have been talking to uh, you know, Noah, the, the Noah folks who put this together for for quite a while, for at least the last five five years, and saying, you know, something just doesn't make sense here. You know, uh, Pollock, in 2018, Pollock landings were 3.4 billion pounds and represented 35%, 35.8% of the total seafood landings. Now, if you take Menhaden out of there, which is not a food fish, uh, Pollock, uh, Pollock represented 43% of domestic landing. So they were they were going they went to NOAA and they said, "Look, this doesn't make sense. We're, you know, we're virtually 40 almost 44% of the landings here and it's not being reflected." They didn't think. So um so NOAA agreed to go and crack open the the math book and take another look at it and lo and behold, this is what we got. So I suppose that you know the uh, another little asterisk here might be that um, Russian Pollock, uh, you know, is is also uh, on top of this. So it doesn't just have to do with the U.S. domestic supply of Pollock. Um, it also has to do with you know more volume coming in on the import side as well. But I still, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to to see you kind of dig into these numbers a bit more because. Uh, you know, it just, it's complex, but it also, it just raises so many questions about, um, about the products that have been produced from Pollock, um, about sales of, um, fish fingers and frozen fish and white fish burgers and things like that. Have they really climbed? Have they really moved the needle that much? We know that Surimi has been flat, uh, for a long, long time. Um, you know, what, where is all this? Uh, where is all this hidden fish been? I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and don't look when NFI kicks out their top ten uh, next week. Don't look for some. I, I'm being told. I, I don't know, but I'm being told. Don't look for some massive 
jump in pollock consumption to like you know two pounds or three pounds that's not going to happen but what this recalculation did is it it led ultimately to um uh, an understanding that more fish that maybe aren't in the top 10 weren't really being counted correctly uh in this in the old model and again I don't fully understand it, but um, so this isn't just uh, a reflection of you're, you're not just going to see some big spike in Pollock. It, it's much more comprehensive than that, but Pollock is, is kind of the driver for how this recalculation had to, had to happen. Got it. So we're still probably going to see shrimp and salmon sitting up there right on top as well as... Uh as well as uh, Cantuna, Tilapia, you know, all, all the other favorites there. Um, but, but it is Yeah, because, I'm sorry, because Gap, um, they did their own number uh, for 2019. They, they did an estimate, and they came out with 0.988 uh, pounds, so just under a pound. Um, and I'm being told that's probably where it's going to be, so, you know, not much movement. So, yeah, I think you're entirely correct, Drew. I think it's probably going to be uh, shrimp, salmon, you know, etc. And just to highlight that too, or, or explain, their gap is the global, uh, the genuine Alaska Pollock producers, the trade association representing um, representing the the Pollock producers. Well, I suppose you know if they count the breading, you know, then um, I don't know. You you add that all up with the breading on the fish fingers, it, it could be significant. So. Uh, now you're just being funny. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move to uh, a different species and different regions altogether. Let's look over at Norway uh, and look over uh, or down to Chile and into Canada. We now have all the first quarter earnings in of the public companies, publicly traded salmon farming companies. Um, and boy, it was not a pretty quarter um, for for many many reasons. Um, but the largest being when you, when you see this contrast and we're going to see this throughout the entire year, we just had Highlanders earnings come out and, um, same thing. It's almost, it is going to be very, very difficult, especially in the first quarter to compare, um, apples to apples. Now, when we get into Q2, it'll get a little bit smoother. Um, but at the same time, even if you weren't comparing, uh, the earnings per kilo, um, which is a really important indicator for uh, for for uh, salmon uh, salmon farming companies. It's essentially how much money are you making per uh, kilogram of fish sold. A really important indicator, right? Um, but if you were to look at uh, look at the the all the uh, all, all the different um, regions and companies, we rank them all in a story that was out uh, today, Friday, and and it's just the percentage declines are just stunning. I'm just going to pull a few here from the list. So for example, uh, Greg Seafood in BC, uh, it had uh, 15 knock EBIT per kilo. Um, if you want knock, let's see, divide it by about seven if you want to get the, the US dollar figure there. So 15 knock per kilo in the first quarter of 2020, uh, Greg BC in the first quarter of 2021, a uh, one knock per kilo. Um, even worse, were were people really slipping there into the red? And there was a lot of companies where that happened too. So, Movie Canada for every kilogram of fish it sold, it lost money. Rachel, you reported on this, and so maybe in a second we can talk to you about that. 
Um, Salmon is coming. Chaka hit by Alga Blooms um, also lost money on every single fish harvested. That's a big blow and really disappointing, really, when you think about it for every fish that you're harvesting, you're actually losing money. Um, but it, it really was a, a, a stunning decline from last year uh, on the Ebbet per kilo. Nobody really came out that well. Um, you know, uh, uh, the the winners there, uh, Nova Sea, it's partially owned by Movie. Um, they always do quite well. Um, and and they uh, they were right up there, at least in a, in a more reasonable uh, knock per kilo, ebit per kilo uh, number there. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Movies Ireland Operations, which is uh, organic salmon, uh, also did very, very well. Um, knock 40 per kilo, which is kind of stunning and about um, 10 times more than, for example, Movie Made in Chile. Um, so, Rachel, since you were covering the uh, Movie Canada numbers um, and, and, uh, and cover salmon farming in Canada so closely, um, what happened at movie you're reporting on the discovery islands, uh, issue, uh, has been fantastic. Is that the only, uh, reason or what's behind those, uh, dismal figures at movie Canada? Um, yeah, it, there's a lot going on at movie in, um, British Columbia in particular, um, they are just, in addition to, you know, they've been going through a restructuring because of the Discovery Islands decision where the Canadian government um, under their fisheries minister, Bernadette Jordan, is going to phase out about 30% of their uh, net pen production by the end of next year, by June of next year. Um, so they are going through that and that has cost them quite a bit of money. And they've also just kind of been experiencing um, weird market conditions in the U.S. And then on their eastern operations, they uh, had quite a bit of money lost from infectious salmon anemia and some mortality losses there because uh, of biological conditions. So, yeah, they've just kind of had issues in both regions. And they're not issues that are going to go away, <laughs> really. Um, you know, there is a growing movement to kind of reconcile uh, First Nations uh, agreements and claims in, in areas where movie and other major uh, salmon farmers operate. And that movement is only gaining ground. And on the East Coast, uh, you know, uh, I've spoken with people from movie before that have said climate change is just kind of becoming part of their operating structure out there because they're just experiencing these intense environmental events and they lose a lot of fish from them. Um, and they also just seem to have issues with um, disease as well um, in both regions. It's going to be interesting to watch, you know, especially uh, as, uh, as uh, it turns into summer here in the, in the Northern hemisphere um, what happens with algal blooms uh, in Canada, in, uh, in Norway uh, this year? Um, you know, it, it, it seems that these are events um, that are going to, um, to really impact how, um, how salmon is farmed. And it, the, the, the trends aren't going to change. Um, anybody this, that disagrees out there, you're wrong. The trends aren't going to change. The, the climate is going to keep warming and the waters are going to keep warming and, and will require some changes in, in how fish are farmed. So 
I think we're going to see a real acceleration uh, on that. So I think that's a really important point and something that we'll be looking at, um, you know, over the course of the the summer season to see uh, to see if those harmful algal blooms pop up again, to see uh, if there's more virulence uh, among certain diseases, um, and uh, and we'll just track it and and hopefully there's um, hopefully there are some technological advances that can. Uh, that can help improve operations and make them more efficient and, and more able to to handle these fluctuations. Because again, they're not going to be reversed overnight, even if humanity does start uh, taking uh, dramatic action. So, all right, let's leave it there, folks. Uh, it is going to be uh, another busy, busy week next week, although we're quite happy that the earnings season, at least for now, is over um so that's uh that makes us uh, pretty happy we've got a lot of stories lined up though i'm continuing to analyze the earnings of the salmon farming companies and then again rachel's right on top of the wild salmon season as it gets underway we'll get a little bit more sense of what normal period is going to be like as we move into next week and the week after so the copper river chaos will sort of calm down and then we'll start uh, thinking about some of these other regions and eventually the the uh, the most important one, uh, Bristol Bay, which will really start heating up at the end of June, early July. Um, a little plug here. We have our land-based salmon farming event, land-based aquaculture event uh, coming up on June 15th. Uh, we already have a fantastic lineup there, so I am really excited uh, about that one. Um, you know, again, I know we've said it before. Um, it is such a, a hot topic among, uh, among the industry right now. Everyone wants to know what's happening with it, what's going to happen with it, who's losing money, who's making money. Um, so we've got some, some great experts that are gonna, uh, that are gonna help us sort of navigate that. So, uh, we have Lynn Katrine Sletadal. She's the, uh, senior manager and the primary market of the Oslo Bourse. She's going to talk to us about, all these listings of salmon farming companies uh, and and why they're going there and what they can expect. We have Yoav Dagan. He's the VP of Business Development at Aquamauf, the uh, equipment supplier. Johan Friedrich uh, Yezdal. He's the COO of uh, the land-based division at Aqua Group. Um, we have Vigo Halseth, uh, fantastic, brings so much knowledge, chief innovation officer at Nutreco. And Martin Rasmussen, he's the CEO of Onfjord Salmon. Uh, in Norway, one of the, the land-based suppliers there. So, and we have a couple more coming in uh, as well, but if just with those ones alone, we already have a fantastic discussion and it'll fill up the time very, very quickly. Uh, you can find us on intrafish.com, of course. You can sign up for our newsletters there. Uh, we are there, uh, I don't want to say 24-7, but a lot of the day. Um, so we have news rolling out there um, um, uh, all the time on, uh, on the topics that matter to you. If you're a subscriber, you can sign up for our uh, email alerts, and uh, that will let you get the news that you are interested in first before anybody else, uh, which is great. So uh, please take a look at that if you're a subscriber. And with that, we'll leave it there. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.